Good morning. We're delighted to have you here. I do want to thank you personally for many of you, I'm sure probably most of you transitioned last Sunday morning on Easter to the 8 o'clock service. Thank you for doing that. It literally balanced out every single service perfectly. So we deeply appreciate that. As Dave said, there's a lot of announcements in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully. One thing I want to make sure I highlight, there is no family experience today. It is next Sunday. I know it came out on phone tree yesterday. It's next Sunday, so I want to make sure you're aware of that. How many of you know that on occasion, people who are older, I don't want to say old people, but people who are older repeat their stories? Some of you know that. Some of you experience that. So if I've told you this story before, just simply say, poor Dan. I guess he really is getting old. There's an incredibly powerful passion play in Germany that they do for years and years and years. One of the most vivid and memorable anybody has ever seen. They try to make it as clear as possible and as realistic as possible. During the trial scene of Jesus, the character that was playing Jesus was cut with one of the swords or spears, I believe, of one of the soldiers because it was authentic. So much so that he had to be taken off stage and his understudy came in, finished the production. At the end of the production, they're demonstrating Acts chapter 1 when Jesus shares his last final moments with his disciples and then ascends up into heaven. What they did to do that is that during that transition scene and while he was in the tomb, they fastened a cord to his back so that at that given moment when he was supposed to rise up into the clouds, he just simply gave a light push and immediately went up into the curtains. What they didn't calculate was that his weight was different than the original character playing Jesus. And so when he came to that moment, gave that slight push, went up toward the ceiling, and then slowly descended back down. Understudy trying to figure out what to do just simply said this. By the way, one more thing. <laughs> Hence the title of the message. From what I understand, they tried to adjust it while he was reenacting all of that, overcalculated, and I think just shot him up into the <laughs> ceiling along the way. Have you ever had those life-changing moments or experiences when you wondered, how do we ever go back to life as normal again? How do we ever deal with everyday life? Can you even fathom what it was like for the disciples to experience what you just saw on the screen, what we shared last Sunday morning? How do they see everything they saw and go on with life as usual? I mean, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, this is not just simply the Son of God or the Messiah. This is their friend. This is their Messiah, their teacher, their mentor, the one they had literally spent three years studying and analyzing and being with. They spent an unbelievable amount of time with him, believing that all of this was going to culminate in something different than what they saw, even though he had told them on a number of occasions what was going to happen, happened. Can you even fathom what it was like for them to experience all of that? I mean, the horrible crucifixion of Jesus, everything that we know the Scripture teaches us and time and history has taught us, had to be one of the most horrific sights they've ever seen in and of itself, let alone 
their Messiah, their friend, their mentor, their Savior. And then the resurrection of Jesus on his own power, even though he had predicted it was going to happen, here he is and shows up in that upper room experience while they're there afraid they're going to die or also be crucified by the Roman soldiers. I mean, there's no way you can live through all of that, see all of that, experience all of that, and say, well, that was cool, and then go on with life as normal. It's impossible. You realize that there has to be more to the story. It has to go somewhere else. There has to be more to it than that. And as well, you know it does. The story goes on in really incredibly powerful ways and becomes a story that changed the world forever. Since Genesis and the fall of man, God's heart was revealed in that context in his desire to rescue us from the hands of the enemy. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, you do not see him looking for God. You see what? God coming to look for him. God at that very moment set the stage for the rest of history in his desire to come and rescue us. The most famous verse that all of us could quote that Keith alluded to a couple of weeks ago that all of us know by heart. For God so loved the world that what? He came. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. God from that point on has been continuing the process of doing everything he can to look for, reconcile, offer forgiveness, and restore his lost creation. That's what the Passion Week celebration is all about and why it's so incredibly significant. And also... From the beginning, the very heart of God and the plan of God was to raise up a people who would have his heart and be a part of his mission to show his love to the world. It began with Abraham and the people of Israel. Fascinating verse in Isaiah 49. Israel, I have created you to be a light to the nations. That's why I called you. That's what I wanted you to be. I have created you to be a light to the nations so that you may be a source of salvation to the ends of the earth. Fascinating verse. You can see the same transition in Jesus when he actually came to earth. When John said he's the light of the world, and then in Matthew he said, no, you, now you are. You're this world's hope. You're to take what you have learned and what you have found in me to the world around you. Unfortunately, even though a remnant of Israel continued on that mission, most of them failed to do so. In Matthew 21 to 23, that instead of helping people into God's kingdom, they simply drew people into their own system. One of the reasons that Jesus turned the tables of the money changers upside down is not because they were selling pizzas in church. It's because they were closing, literally shutting the door of the kingdom in men's faces. They were making them feel like they had to go through their system to have any kind of access to God. And Jesus said, it's not so. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. We have stopped with, my house shall be a house of prayer. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody, all the world is welcome into the kingdom of God. Not a select group, not a chosen few. Everybody is welcome into my kingdom. And you've made a system so that you're literally shutting the door of the kingdom in their face. It's never what he had in mind at all. 
Christ came to teach, to heal, to preach the kingdom, to die for the lost mankind, to raise from the dead. And now in Matthew 28, verse 16, he stands with his disciples at the end of his earthly ministry, commissioning him to continue what he started. As a matter of fact, in John 14, he said, those of you who follow me and have faith in me are going to do greater things than I have done. One of the most incredible verses in all the New Testament. You will do even more than I have done, Jesus said. Unbelievable. Matthew 28 is where I want you to be this morning. We're going to tie Matthew 28 and Acts 1 together. Familiar section. You've probably heard it a thousand times. For those who have talked about missions or why we do what we do, I want to finish this series of Jesus that we've been on for the last eight weeks Nine weeks with this one more thing, which is really the mission that God has sent us all on. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that verse, in light of that peace, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Look again at verse 17. Look what the the group did. They worshipped, but some were doubtful. They worshipped, but some were doubtful. I've often wondered, why did Matthew, why why did he say that? Why did he include this? I mean, this is a culmination of Jesus' ministry. If I were him, I'd have had thunder and lightning and symbols and angels. But this mixture of faith and fear, why do that? To be honest with you, I just think it's reality. I think it's a picture of us. Haven't you ever had those emotions at times? Jesus, I love you, I'm committed to you, but what you're calling me to do is scary. Mixed emotions are normal. It's all over this chapter. Fear and joy when they saw Jesus the first time. I can relate to those mixed emotions. One of the greatest supporters of Jesus faced it. You ought to sometimes contrast, I'm going to give you the verses, but contrast John the Baptist in fascinating transition, Matthew 3.11 and Matthew 11.3. In Matthew 3.11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jump forward to Matthew 11, verse 3, when John is in prison He heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and he said to his disciples, Are you the one who should come, or should we look for another? Are are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another? It's hard to believe. It's hard to even imagine. John is the same John who said, There he is. That's the one we've been looking for. That's the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this unbelievable moment where he's finding himself facing death, and ultimately did. Are you the one? I believe that Jesus' final words are given to people just like us, who sometimes wonder, you're asking me to reach my neighbor? You're asking me to share with a coworker? You're asking me to go overseas to another culture, another continent, another climate, another group of people? You're asking me? To do that, you're asking me to teach a class? You're you're asking me to stand in a pulpit? You're asking me to share my story? 
You're asking me to share my testimony? You're asking me to witness to my neighbor? You're asking me to witness to my dad? You're asking me? Why? It's an interesting phrase in Acts, the parallel to this in Acts chapter 1 verse 2, where it says he's giving them instruction through the Holy Spirit. What I love about that is that Jesus still does that. I don't think Jesus was with them every moment during those 40 days recorded in Acts chapter 1, synopsized in Matthew 28. said he taught them during those times every once in a while. I would have loved to have been in that Bible study. I mean, if you're going to sign up for a small group and somebody said to you, hey, by the way, Jesus is going to be your leader for the next 30, 40 days, I'm in. I wouldn't even want to be one of the other small group leaders because I know nobody's going to that class. They're all going to his. I'd want to do that. He taught them. Spirit of God would every once in a while open up their minds, kind of like the two disciples on the way to Emmaus when all of a sudden at that incredible moment when they're doubtful and wondering everything we planned, everything we thought was going to happen, and then he would die on the cross. They laid him in a tomb. I was there. I saw it. And then all of a sudden, in that unbelievable moment, Jesus began to break bread. And, oh, that's who he is. Spirit of God opens up their mind, and all of a sudden they understand the teaching. It still happens today. We read a section of Scripture, hear a message, don't quite get it, don't seem to understand it, and all of a sudden the light comes on, and we go, that's what that means. Have you ever had that? It's the Spirit of God. The same Spirit, when it says he taught them in the Spirit, he gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit does the exact same thing. God still works that way. Sometimes we want a theology that we can figure out, but it doesn't always happen that way. This isn't history we're studying. The book that you hold in your hands, the book that I refer to, the book that we read called the Word of God isn't a history book. It is a live, living, breathing Word of God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. My Word will always stay. You can know theology, but there needs to be an illumination of that theology, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Not only does he talk to them, not only does he speak to them, not only does he allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them, he also appeared to them, Acts tells us, giving them convincing proofs that he was alive. Ties into the sermon last Sunday morning. You often wonder, why is that so important? They knew he was alive. They saw him. He was right in front of them. But he gave them convincing proofs. That he was alive. Didn't they believe it? Of course they did. Sometimes, every once in a while, you need just a little bit more knowledge of that truth. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You know God's alive. You know he's real. But every once in a while, you just need something a little bit more. You know he's alive. You know he's here. You know he's with us all the time. You know he never leaves us or forsakes us. But every once in a while, you just want to sense his presence. You want to feel his strength. You want his arms to come around you in that deep moment. And what I love about Jesus is he does that every so often. Shows us, convinces us, or gives to us convincing proofs that what he says he is and who he says he is, is there. Every once in a while when I get down, when I get discouraged, and I wonder, is this making sense? Does it make me? 
Are we really making a difference? Are we go in the right direction. I love the fact in the middle of those moments that Jesus comes to me through the word of God, through an email, through a, a text from a friend. He affirms me, he loves me, encourages me. The same Jesus, what I love about him, the same Jesus that did that for these guys, gave them convincing proofs that he was alive, does the exact same thing for us. And every once in a while, from time to time, shows up and reveals himself alive. And if you're like me, every once in a while, I need that. We know the theology. We know that Christ is alive. We know he's real. But every once in a while, I need his touch. I, I need his presence. I, I need to sense him there. Every once in a while, I need more than theology. I need Christ alive. I need to feel his presence. I need to know his power. Verse 18, same section now back in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority is given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The challenge he's about to give them, Matthew 28, 16 and Acts 1, 8, take the gospel to the end of the earth. The challenge that he's about to give them is built on that statement of fact. He knew that what he was calling them to do in and of themselves, they couldn't do it. Number one, it was impossible. Number two, they couldn't do it. The mission he was going to share with them has been going on since the fall of man. He now knows what he's calling them to do. And he knows that they needed to have verse 19, take this gospel everywhere, bookend by two things. You're going on my authority and I'm with you to the end of the age. To take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end of the world or to your neighbor or to your friend or your coworker needs to be bookended by those two statements. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, and I want you to go on that authority. If I tell you to go, there's a reason that I told you to go. If I tell you to go, I want you to obey my authority, and I've given you that for that reason, so that you'll know I'm the one sending you. I'm also the one preparing them. So I want to know that. If I'm sensing the Spirit of God saying, I want you to share your love, the faith of Jesus, what you have found in Christ, to your friend, to your coworker, to your neighbor, to your mom, to your dad, to that relative of yours that you thought nobody would ever want to reach, to that grandparent of yours that you thought would never, ever, ever want to talk about religious things. If he is telling you to go, he is asking you to do it based on his authority, which means he's preparing that conversation ahead of time. It's also based on the fact that I'm right there with you, even to the end of the age. Whole world done. I'm telling you, I'm with you every step of the way. I'm not going to call you to do something. I'm not going to be there with you. And I'm not going to call you to do it and have you go on your own. I'm with you to the end of the age, and all authority is given unto me. Jesus is saying to them, everything you're going to face, even death itself, is under my authority. Everything you're about to face, even death itself, is under my authority. And on the basis of that authority, I have a mission that I want you to accomplish. Not on your own. But based on my authority, I want you to go to make disciples of all nations. I want you to take this life-changing gospel everywhere. You realize how big that is and why it has to be surrounded by those two pieces. When you tie in Matthew 28 and Acts 1-8, they go together. You see the sequence that Jesus talks about in there, the one that we're most familiar with in Acts chapter 1. Take, take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
we normally interpret it as I go to my neighbors, I go to my friends, I, I go beyond that, I, I take it to other cultures and other people and other backgrounds, and it's, it's true, that is all of that. What I've often wondered is when he's saying go to Jerusalem, it's not always just those near us. Jerusalem was the center of religious faith at that time. I believe a parallel for us today is to begin with those who have a religious background, who are in religious settings, but the life of God isn't there. They go to church, they have a church, they say they know church, they say they know God, but you know, I know, God knows, their friends know, the life of God isn't there at all. What intrigues me about that concept is that as I look at what God has done here, even at Community Alliance, and I know in hundreds of other churches, is that many times who he has drawn are people who have some kind of religious background, but the life of God just isn't there. And maybe somewhere in their journey, they either lost their way, lost their joy, have been disillusioned, and found faith in Christ. And many of them are part of our family here at CAC. It is your neighbors. It is those around you. I get that. That's what he's talking about in the context of Jerusalem. But I've often wondered if it isn't just simply that or even beyond that to a religious system and those who have religious backgrounds but just no life. And God isn't obviously there and they've never felt like they found that. In all the context of their religion, I'll never put you in that spot this morning. But i got to believe if I were to ask you that question, a lot of you would raise your hands. You did have a church. You did know about church. You had some kind of religious system. But you really didn't know Jesus. And then you found him. Whether before or after you came here, you found him and you wanted to be a part of a family that really does feel like the life of God is here. And I'm deepening my walk with God. Obviously, we also participate in sending. Next Sunday morning, you'll hear from one of our other partners who's been taking the gospel of Christ all around the world who are now in Guinea, West Africa, and we're supporting them as they take the gospel of Christ to everyone, everywhere, everywhere they go. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit in Acts. It will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Those who are religious, but the life of God is missing, you share the incredible grace of God. Verse 19, in the same section, back now to verse 20, chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples. It actually means as you go. They're not going to stay in the hillside. i got to believe that they would have wanted to. I mean, they're just going to stay here. All of a sudden, he disappears, and they're staying there. They're standing there, kind of like, I don't know what to do next. I can't believe what I've just saw. Some of the most amazing statements in Scripture come from angels, and that context in Acts chapter 1 where the angel says, what are you looking at? I've often wanted to say, what do you think I'm looking at? Jesus just left again. It's kind of like when the angel goes to Mary in the tomb, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Well, of course I'm coming. He died. So I'm coming here to look for him. And they're standing there. They're wondering, what do we do now? And then you got to believe, okay, 
He just told us what to do now. So as we go, we're not staying here. As we go, we're going to share. We're going to talk. We're going to tell the story of Christ. Everywhere we go, everywhere we see, everyone we meet, we're going to share what we have found in Jesus. And they did exactly that. Interesting in here context, he says, as you go, I want you to make disciples. And I want you to do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not telling them to baptize them in water, although we certainly do, and it's absolutely critical. On May 19th, we're going to do one again. A couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity to be, uh, I so appreciate the the leadership giving me that, us that weekend off so that we could leave and watch my grandson get baptized. One of the most incredible experiences I could have imagined. This seven-year-old who couldn't wait to find Jesus accepted him, and we finally said, I want that. I want all of that. And then to be baptized. It's an incredible experience. But I don't think that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word baptize means to immerse. But here, it doesn't simply say in water. It also means to dip and dye. You know what happens when you dip cloth in dye? What does it do? It changes color. It takes on the color of that. It takes on the shape of that. It takes on what that looks like. It's what he's saying. I want you to to so baptize them in God that they begin to look like little Jesus is running all over the place. And everywhere they go, they look like him. They love like him. They teach like him. They act like him. They care like him. They're passionate like him. I want you to do that everywhere you go. And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's interesting here is he uses that in singular form. It means that you're to immerse people, bathe people, give them nothing else but God. A lot of people may have been baptized with water. He said, I want them to be baptized in God. Not in some religious distinctive, not in another way of thinking, not in a list of do's and don'ts. I want you to make people understand and point them to God and God alone. Nothing else but God. Teaching them to observe. The word observe doesn't mean to look at. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to watch that. It means to do. It means to do. Keep all the commands that I've given you, which is what Jesus wanted them to do. And what did he tell them to do? Love God with every fiber of your being. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love those around you like you love yourself. Preach the kingdom. Heal the sick. Love and touch those who are hurting. Move in the power of the Spirit. Jesus is telling them to do and us to do what he did. When we lay our hands on people on a Sunday morning, every so often we say, do you want someone to pray for you? And they'll come up and we'll lay our hands on them. In our context, we anoint with oil. Out of James chapter 5, we're just simply doing what Jesus did. And so all over the New Testament of Jerusalem, Samaria, Galilee, Jesus went around and when people were sick, He laid his hands on them. When we're doing that, when we're praying with people, when you're praying with people, you're doing what Jesus did. When you love the down and out, when we reach out to the brokenhearted, we're doing what Jesus did. When you're ministering to our children here and love them and share God's incredible truth with them, we're doing what Jesus did. He moved into the lives of people like no one else did. He kicked over the tables of religious systems that shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And when we do that, we're doing what Jesus did. This command is not just exclusive to them. It's to all of us. When we walk out that door, 
or that door or that door or that door and we walk into our world, we're doing that to bring Jesus to everyone we meet. We're doing that to emulate Jesus. Baptized in him means we look like him. We're trying to act like him. Are we perfect? Oh, my lands, no. But we're doing everything we can by the power of the Spirit to allow him to so saturate our lives with his presence that the longer we're in this journey, the more and more we look like him. And we do it in his strength. Because he said he would be with us even to the ends of the earth. Send out ordinary people, people like you and I, to change the world. And to be honest with you, that is incredibly scary. Which is why you have that mixture of faith and fear. He entrusted with us and with them a message that changes people's lives forever. Is it scary at times? Of course. Am I overwhelmed with what God is calling us to do? Absolutely. Is it exciting? You better believe it. Is it worth it? How could we not do that? How could we not do that? And we believe that God wants us to continue to reach more and more people for Christ. Near the end of February, I talked to you about something different that we wanted to do for the next year or so. Something visual. And so Dave and I talked about it, and I set him on a mission And he fulfilled that mission by what you see on the two sides here on these two walls. Celebrate new life in Christ, praying that they find Jesus. What I would love for us to do, and I'd love for you to pray about it. Dave and Pam are going to come out in just a couple of minutes and they're going to sing a song. In your bulletin is a blank sheet of paper, a little piece of paper that looks like this. And I'm sure you're wondering, why did no one put anything on that? Also, on that table over there and on that table over there, is a card that looks very similar to that. A pen beside it and a push pin. And what I'd love for you to consider doing, okay? You can do it as discreet as possible if you want to. You can do it as obvious as possible if you want to. What I'd love for you to consider doing, between now and next Easter, let's wonder, imagine, what God can do in the lives of people that are in our sphere of influence that are my friends, that are my neighbors, that are my relatives, that I want to pray and I want to share and I want to tell them about the love of Jesus. And I would love to see them move from that cross to that cross in the next year. What I'd love for you to do this morning is if there's someone that immediately comes to mind or someone that you know that you would love to see what you've, and i got to believe we all have someone like that. I get that. But that you personally want to be involved with, of sharing with them, of telling them about the love of Jesus, of praying that they find Christ. Would you write their name on that? And if you are so led, would you during this song, and even at the end of the message, come up and pin that name to that cross? You can push it right in the wood. It'll be okay. It's wood. Now, if you want to turn it backwards so no one sees the name, that's fine. And then every Sunday when we come in here, we'll have a visual reminder. There are people that, that CAC is praying will find Jesus. Because that's why we're here. That's why we exist. We want them to find Jesus. Before the world ends, we want them to find Christ. Before they die, we want them to find Christ. Now, if you have recently led someone to Christ or know of someone who's come to Jesus, you may, during this time, pin that name over there. 
And so when we walk in here on a Sunday morning and people come to faith in Christ in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our adult ministry, in a small group, in a sharing class, maybe somewhere along the way you've seen them, you've shared with them, they've found Jesus, and you just want to walk in here during worship, you can move around during worship. You literally can. You don't have to stay in your seat. And, and while that's going on, you can just go up and, and pin their name there. And then all of a sudden we'll look over there and say, wow, look at how many people found Jesus this week. We want to celebrate that. We've done it different ways through the years and just we're trying to think of something a little bit more unique, something more visual, something to remind us again visually of why we're here. And one of the reasons we exist is to reach people who are lost and we want them to find Jesus and we want to celebrate those who have started their new life in Christ. There's nothing magical about it. Just because you pin their name doesn't mean, okay, I pin their name, they're going to come to Jesus. It's not a magic board. It's just simply a visual reminder of knowing that there are people that we're praying for, that I'm praying for. And when I walk in here and I see it every Sunday, it just says, I know why I'm here. And I know what I want to do when I leave. And I know what I want to do this week. And man, am I willing. I love singing here when I can celebrate and see that dozens or a dozen or ten people have found faith in Christ this week, this month. Between now and next Easter, let's watch and see if there's a transition between one cross to the other. Father, we're your children. We lay our lives at your feet. We know that we're called not to keep or hold on to what we have found in you and keep it to ourselves, but to share it, spread it around to the world around us. And so in these moments, I trust that you will speak to us about someone that you have specifically laid in our heart that we want to find, we want to share with, we want to love on, we want to see them find what we have found in Jesus. We want to celebrate that in really marvelous ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, while Dave and Pam are singing, you've got you to listen to this song, too, because it's really powerful. But while they're singing, get up where you are. We're not going to have you stand and sing. Just get up where you are. You can stand if it's easier, but just go to one of these crosses. Write a name down if you want to, if you're led to. Don't want to manipulate you. It's the last thing we want to do is to manufacture something and manipulate. Just being led by the Spirit. Oh, your mercy never fails.